0: You're listening to Rights Up, a podcast from the Oxford Human Rights Hub. My name is Louise McCormack, and I'm a podcaster at The Hub. In today's episode, I will be speaking to Dr. Saeed Bagheri, lecturer in international law at the University of Reading. We will be discussing the women-led protests in Iran. In 2022, Mahasa Amini was arrested by the Iranian Morality Police and died in custody shortly thereafter. Her death sparked women in Iran to rise up and protest against the restrictions on their human rights. While accurate figures are difficult to ascertain, numerous people, including children, have died since the protests began. Many have been imprisoned and hundreds more have been sentenced to death. Welcome, Saeed, and thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Lizzie, for having me.
0: Let's begin with the major source of the protests currently ongoing in Iran, the death of Mahasa Amini, a 22-year-old Kurdish woman, on the 16th of September 2022. Could you tell us briefly about the circumstances surrounding Mahasa's death?
1: Well, uh, Mahsa, as you said, she was uh, or Gina Amini, uh, I'm trying to pronounce a Kurdish name. She was a 20-year-old Kurdish girl who was arrested by the Iranian police for improperly wearing uh, her hijab in violation of Islam Public's dress codes for uh, women in public. So she collapsed at a detention center in the city of Tehran, uh, which is the capital of Iran after uh, spending three days in custody of the morality police, and then she had died after being transferred to a hospital. And as was reported, she was uh, beaten by the morality police during her detention, unfortunately. And so uh, basically what happened uh, to Massa was a fracturing point, uh, which I think prompted Iranian uh, women to come onto the streets to protest the Islamic Republic's um, injustice. And uh, most importantly, it's the grievous violence against women, uh, which in a way is an indication of the brutal nature of the Islamic Republic.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, so since the beginning, women have been at the forefront of the protest and decry women's life, freedom, Uh, expressed a deep yearning that women uh, across the country share in the face of the Islamic Republic's uh, oppression against its uh, people. But uh, I think it's also important to mention that they are joined in the the protest by thousands of Iranian men who want to force um, a systematic change to ensure the fundamental rights of Iranians are respected.
0: Great. And then could you just explain for our listeners who the morality police are and, and how they came into being?
1: So basically, the Morality Police is one of the most important Islamic Republic's religious branches. I would say that religious police in the law enforcement command uh, of the Islamic Republic, which is enforcing the law on the expansion of hijab since 2005. So the law enforcement itself is a uniform police, uh, which was uh, created in 1992. And currently they have uh, more than 60,000 personnel around the country who are acting under the direct control of the Supreme Leader, uh, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, who is the head of state and, and then in the meantime, commander in chief uh, of the Iranian armed forces. And uh, maybe also it's important to mention that the main responsibilities of the morality police are just taking actions against moral crimes such as prostitution and importantly improper hijab in public, just in line with the uh, Iranian hijab law.
0: Mm -hmm. And just on the laws then, as you've mentioned, the hijab law, could you describe that and some of the other laws that have a particularly detrimental effect on women and their freedoms in Iran?
1: Uh, yeah, well, as I mentioned, uh, Morality Police is just acting on the law enforcement command who enforcing the, the, the hijab law. The hijab law uh, was introduced after the Islamic Revolution in 1979. And we know that uh, but basically many uh, people protested hijab and uh, a mandatory hijab, but uh, wearing hijab became mandatory for uh, Iranian women from uh, 1983. And since then, all uh, the Iranian and even uh, foreigners who are visiting Iran have been legally obliged to wear hijab in public, uh, which has a detrimental effect on women because uh, it restricts their freedom to choose their uh, lifestyle. And uh, one more thing that I would uh, like to mention, that the hijab law is an example of the discriminatory regulations made by the Iranian parliament, and mm-hmm. according to which wearing uh, improper hijab is to be considered as a crime. So this is the main point mm-hmm. that I think we need to, yeah. to just to to focus on that. But the problem with this regulation or uh, the hijab law is that the law is quite open to criticism because uh, it doesn't clearly provide you know a definition of uh, improper hijab. So we don't know what what is it, so what, what is the pro- improper hijab. So. This is the reason that basically allows the police, the morality police, to interpret the law uh, in different ways uh, and, of course, take arbitrary actions against women. And, of course, uh, perhaps, you know, that Iran is a state party to uh, the core human rights instruments, including the uh, International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and International Covenant on uh, Economic, Social and Cultural Rights. But, again... Uh, the idea is that Iran is an Islamic country, and although Iranian uh, women equally enjoy the protection of uh, the law and, um, and, and of course, enjoy all human political or social or cultural rights, but it should be in conformity with Islamic criteria. This is what the Iranian constitution says. I mean, it's no coincidence that the Iranian government has never ratified the Convention on uh, Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. Uh, which uh, basically ensures for um, equality for women in all areas of their lives.
0: I think what you're getting at there is that the laws regarding dress code are somewhat subjective in nature. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Okay. so returning then to Mahasa's death, could you elaborate on whether the violence of this kind is a common occurrence in Iran? And if so, why Mahasa's death in particular sparked such outrage?
1: Hmm. This is a uh, well, very interesting question. Uh, well, I mean, uh, the way in which the Islamic Republic has been dealing with women has become normalized as its general policies towards gender equality, which doesn't accommodate, by the regime, uh, which is coming from, which is coming from the Iranian regime's approach to international human rights law and uh, non-discrimination policies. However, I think there has been a fluctuation in the application of the hijab law at times, and uh, it is predominantly because of the different and inconsistent practice, uh, and I will say that the exercise of power by the Iranian presidents in different periods of time. For example, uh, during the presidency of Muhammad Khatami, who is well known as the uh, most uh, moderate and reformist president in Iran, I think the situation for the Iranian women was much better than today, uh, yeah. under the presidency of the current uh, president, Ibram Raisi, who is one of the most radical uh, officers of the Islamic Republic. Uh, and uh, just a quick point that uh, last year, when uh, he came into power, the primary initiative was uh, taking an action about the hijab law. And uh, he was quite clear when when he just uh, made a statement that improper hijab uh, is, is against the uh, religious values of the Islamic Republic. And so the government needs to take serious actions uh, against any women who are wearing improper hijab in public.
0: Mm-hmm. So initially the protests focused on the hijab laws, but have now expanded to other issues. Can you explain what the protesters are now demanding?
1: Yeah, but, but as I mentioned earlier, the death of Nasser, I mean, he, uh, prompted Iranian women uh, to protest the regime's violence uh, against women. Uh, but I believe that our understanding of these protests uh, uh, shouldn't be uh, restricted to the rights of women because they're actually a reaction uh, to the absence of democracy and the rule of law, I think, in Iran. Uh, so, so this is one thing that we need to just think about it from one hand. And from the other hand, I think the reason that the people are now protesting, so basically, as I said, you know, we, uh, women and men all together just protesting government and the Iranian regime. Uh, well, yeah, the second reason that I think is the abuse of power and frequent human rights violations, um, on the other hand, so... Uh, Let me just explain this with some more details, uh, which I think would be uh, much better to understand the rationals behind the protest. Uh, One of the biggest issues, I think, for the Iranians is built into uh, the way the Islamic Republic operates with the lack of democracy and accountability. So, for example, uh, judiciary in Iran is not independent of the regime. And so power is constitutionally concentrated on one person uh, mm-hmm. Who's a supreme leader, and again, who is, is, is not like, answerable to any authority or legal or political mechanism? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this is this is the reason that you know just has paved the way for unfair trials of the opponents of the regime at times. And the other point is that I think there is a direct uh, reference to democracy uh, in the Iranian constitution, which flows respect for human rights in general terms, and in particular, you know, fundamental rights like uh, freedom of expression, the rule of law, uh, independence of judiciary, or uh, transparency and accountability of the government. But again, uh, we need to still think about the practice, what happened in practice. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, in practice, Things are so different, and I can definitely tell you that just non-accountability and abuse of power have become normalized uh, mm-hmm. during the Islamic Republics four decades in, in, in power. Uh, well, again, as I said before, Iran is a party to some uh, fundamental and and core uh, human rights instruments, uh, but the regime has frequently uh, restricted the right to peaceful protests, uh, which is amounted for you know their uh, social political rights. Uh, basically, by using uh, lethal force against and torturing protesters uh, in different times. So, in the meantime, in violation of its, you know, free uh, speech obligations under uh, international human rights law, uh, it has frequently violated the right to freedom of expression by restricting the uh, people's, you know, just access to information, like banning social media platforms. Uh, on different occasions and, of course, shutting down the internet in times of peaceful protests. But unfortunately, the list of human rights violations is too long. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm trying to highlight some of the most critical examples, for instance, uh, denying freedom of religion uh, to minority religious groups who suffer regular discrimination and persecution. And another example that, which is, I think, really, really important to discuss a little bit about that, just uh, rights of minority groups. So, Iran is a multicultural country with different mm-hmm. ethnic minority groups, and so ethnic minority groups and minority languages, which are routinely suppressed, uh, including in schools. And uh, despite an article, it's an, there, there is an article 15 uh, in the constitution. Uh, which um, you know declares that the use of ethnic languages in the press, in the media, or, or the teaching of uh, their literature at the schools alongside the Persian uh, language, which is the, which is the official language of the country, these are you know freely uh, permitted. But again if you have a just have a look at the practice unfortunately this article uh, has never been applied adequately by the government so this these are some sorts of examples to explain that there are different reasons that people are protesting the central policies of the iranian regime
0: yes i think that's very helpful just building on that the government obviously are hostile in terms of wanting to address these human rights mm-hmm. abuses and freedom of religion and these other issues as you suggested so I guess the next question then is how, how has the government responded to these protests?
1: Well, again, I think it's is quite clear that, as always, the regime has uh, responded with uh, excessive and un- unlawful lethal force and the arbitrary arrests uh, of the protesters and uh, arrested more than uh, fifteen thousand protesters over the past two months. So one more thing is is really important to know that the security forces of the regime just frequently use unlawful force against protesters across the country, and it's been reported as I know uh, that this is one of the evidences that uh, they, they have killed uh, at least six hundred people uh, in just two months, including forty children. Mm. And the authorities have, you know, have also just used, as I mentioned before, used partial torture, you know, internet shutdowns Mm -hmm. during protests just just to restrict access to information uh, as a means to to prohibit this dissemination of information like sharing videos of the protests in Mm -hmm. in different platforms like social media. But I think the worst is that the Iranian regime uh, has never conducted any transparent uh, investigations into the security forces serious violations against people mm-hmm. and this is simply because the the regime has uh, has basically you know relying on national security uh, in a broad sense just to suppress peaceful dissent uh, unlawfully by using violence against people just for the sake of uh, the survival of the regime rather than the safety of the country and national security. Again, this is one of the ex- uh, exceptions that in, in, in the constitution, just uh, declaring that uh, the regime is capable of, you know, taking actions against people who are acting against national security. But as I mentioned, this is a very broad gen- uh, and general, you know, reading of the article. Uh, because basically, the when it comes to national security, the constitution is saying that yeah, we need to just consider any threat to the nation. But it is not clear how the government explains, you know, the peaceful protests or using internet against the national security, uh, and so uh, crucial to the regime's survival has been the support of its security forces uh, who take orders from the supreme leader and basically you know just coming from supreme council for national security who also uh, taking uh, orders from the president uh, and the supreme leader uh, ali khamenei
0: i suppose then we've kind of addressed the national response to the protests how has the international community responded
1: well, basically, you know, it's a very good question. Again, uh, the, over the past three uh, weeks, or maybe let's say just a two months, uh, too many of Iranians, you know, inside the country and outside the country, they were expecting that, you know, the international community, how they're going to deal with this problem. Because it's a matter for international human rights law and uh, international human rights is a universal law. So it's deemed to be an international, it's a universal law. So uh, international community needs to, I mean, to, to take it seriously. Uh, well, uh, fortunately and luckily, I would say that on November uh, twenty-four, the UN Human Rights Council uh, held a special session on the human rights uh, situation in Iran, uh, mainly with respect to women and children. And uh, so the, the Council called for an independent probe into human rights violations by the Iranian regime And the council decided to create a fact-finding mission to investigate uh, the violations by the Islamic Republic and, and of course, the security uh, forces uh, related to the protests that began in September uh, right after the death of Mahsa Amini. But we just need to remember that this is is not how uh, this should be ended because uh, basically the lack of effective enforcement mechanism of international human rights law uh, to hold the states accountable uh, for, for gross violations uh, unfortunately makes uh, so many different uh, difficulties in practice. And I think the international community needs to work on a much stronger and uh, effective legal mechanism with with a binding force just to take you know just serious uh, issues and and of course make you know accept new decisions that are binding on uh, state parties. And remember that international law is a law just based on the state's yes. consent, which allows them just to remain ac- unaccountable for gross violations. So these are sort of things that we still uh, need to think about. them. It is important to know that Human Rights Council in itself can only just you know, respond to human rights uh, emergencies and make uh, recommendations on how to better mm-hmm. uh, implement international human rights law. But either way, if uh, if I talk about, we just want to talk about the the reaction that Human Rights Council had uh, yesterday, I mean, I would say that just uh, 24th of November, I believe that the investigation by the Council will definitely enforce this soft power through diplomacy, scrutiny, uh, international attention, Mm -hmm. and pressuring Islamic Republic through the other states just to remedy human rights abuses. So, yeah, it's definitely a positive development but it, that just taken by the um, international community.
0: Yes, absolutely. Are there any plans, I suppose, for other states to impose sanctions?
1: Yeah, for example, Germany was one of the countries that for the first time they started to talk about the need for uh, taking, you know, just a holding a special session. I think, yeah, there's some European countries that already started to talk about, you know, imposing new sanctions against the Islamic Republic uh but again we just need to think about what happened uh, over the past few years does it be a, a, economic sanctions against the government because mm-hmm. uh we just need to remember the main objective of the economic sanctions is just you know pressuring the government to change their behavior but in practice again what happened in in, in reality the islamic republic has never changed its uh, behavior
0: yes but definitely a, a positive step from the council on the 24th August. exactly yeah yeah i think so yeah So I just have a final question for you then, Said. As you mentioned earlier, woman life freedom has become the slogan of the protests in Iran. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm.
0: What do you think it will take to bring about social and economic equality for women in Iran? And what changes might need to be made, say constitutionally, or to current structures of political religious authority in order for such equality to be realised?
1: Well, I think this is, uh, you know, just a very difficult question to answer but in my opinion, I think the Iranian regime would not welcome any constitutional change or reform, mm-hmm. because during the four decades of Islamic Republic, through many reformist groups, and, and as I said earlier uh, in this discussion, you know, the moderate presidents like um, Muhammad Khatami, they, they tried many times, you know, they tried to take actions to bring it forward by the regime. Uh, but... The problem is, you know, that the regime uh, blends them with actions against national security again. So, if we just consider the Iranian regime's approach to international human rights law over the past four decades, we can easily we can realize how how a reform can pose a big challenge for the regime in practical and normative terms. For instance, the Iranian government has never accepted. The individual complaints procedures in the context of human rights treaties that ratified by the government. This is this is the I mean the reality that the Iranian government has already blocked this system, and so you as an individual you cannot you cannot criticize the government. So because uh, the regime is not open to any criticisms, and, and so uh, this brings us to the very central issue that today I will say that Iranians can see this predicament uh, more than ever. I think my answer to this question would be that the, the practice of the Iranian regime is in in using lethal force against women and children, and its suppressive laws and regulations, especially the laws and regulations on women, mm-hmm. uh, clearly manifests that the regime is not theoretically or practically flexible, mm-hmm. or willing to have any agenda on freedom, democracy, and or uh, gender equality. This is what I can say. So. I think uh, that's the reason why Iranians uh, are now calling for regime change uh, rather than uh, constitutional reform. And uh, so I will conclude by saying that, um, you know, this is this is basically as a, a, a result of the brutal uh, behaviour of the Islamic Republic over the last uh, four decades that has undermined trust in the Islamic Republic.
0: Great. Thank you so much for speaking with me today, Saeed.
1: Thanks for having me. It was really a pleasure.
0: Rights Up is brought to you by the Oxford Human Rights Hub. The executive producer is Megan Campbell. This episode was produced and edited by Sophie Smith and hosted by Louise McCormick. Music for this series is by Rosemary Allman. Show notes for this episode have been written by Sarah Dobby. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you like to listen to your favourite podcasts.